Well, a friend of mine, he pastors in Las Vegas. What? Are you kidding me? In Vegas? I joke with him through the, through the years I've played with him just kind of picking at that reality. And I've asked him, you know, what is it like to pastor in Las Vegas? Do you guys have slot machines in the foyers and where people win and they tithe with their earnings? Do you have Elvis impersonators who walk around or scantily clad girls, you know, that have posters indicating what round it is in the worship uh, service? And then he gets serious on me real quick because I joke around too much, don't I? I get him too sarcastic. And he, but he's told me in the past, he said, you know, if you live here, you'll learn. That if someone stays long enough, plays long enough, and parties long enough, eventually they bottom out. Solomon's story is that. It's the glitter of 24-7 gaming and shopping and showing and, and all of this, gambling, it's risk and such. And Solomon's story is one where he was born of King David. He was born into wealth and royalty. He became the third king of Israel. And he did something that his dad only dreamt about doing. He built the temple. And you can read about it later in first, even though we're in Ecclesiastes, you can read about this historical account in first Kings chapter eight. And in first Kings eight, it's really vivid detail. And you see the emotion and the energy of someone who's excited about God, excited about the temple, excited that people would go and have a place to worship together and the story of King Solomon is not the normal trajectory that we would think about but in wealth and royalty uh, and early he said yes to God and though that yes to God turned into a hesitant maybe and the hesitant maybe led to an eventual no and in first Kings chapter 8 there's a celebration of the temple and by the way it's important as in the church has made it through plagues and pandemics and intense persecution all throughout. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail. You know, it's important for us to gather as people. It's important for us to value what it means to worship as a gathering. I fear for some, just gonna lay it out there, but man, I don't want the be, this to be the story for uh, so many of you. But hey, what, what, what happened? You used to value the temple. You used to, y'all used to, y'all used to go to church. What, ha what happened? This is like a conversation in 2030 or 2040. Y'all used to, what happened? There was a pandemic and we just, we just stopped going and we never went back. You know, there's a time for us to say yes to God. And when we give him a hesitant maybe, it will turn into an eventual no. Andy Stanley says that before people leave the faith, they leave the community of faith. John Mark Comer, hear every word carefully. He talks about progressive Christianity. He talks about progressive Christianity that says, I don't need the body. I don't need to gather. I don't, I don't even need to watch online anymore. I don't, need, I don't need this. That's progressive. And he says that progressive Christianity in his pastoral experience in Portland, progressive Christianity is just one step before post-Christianity. You know, that can be us. We can say yes to God at some point when we're young. Have you ever? I hope you have. But then your life could be characterized by a hesitant maybe. And that can lead to an eventual no. What, what turned him away? Thrill-seeking, pleasure. It's candid in 1 Kings eleven four. 4. It puts it pretty, pretty explicitly. It says this about him. We got it? And Solomon grew old. His wives, you, you read that right, he turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He turned. 
And in Ecclesiastes, he's musing and he's reflecting. And it's this heartfelt monologue about life. He cuts through the cliches. He confronts honest questions. He talks about the big things like good and evil, motives and behavior, reality and perception. And he ultimately starts asking the question, does anything satisfy the human heart? Can any possession or any purpose, or any, any person, can that fill the void? Can a stack of cash meet the longing of the heart? Can the, th- the seeking of thrill and immense pleasure, can that bring lasting happiness? And Solomon Early, I'm, I'm asking you guys to read the whole book, and I'm hearing from some of you who are. But in the first chapter, he talks about creation. He talks about the cycles and the seasons. He talks about the sea. He talks about the sky. He says that the winds blow and the streams flow. And you get the feeling that it's just the same old, same old. He talks about just how things just move. And if you get older, doesn't life feel that way sometimes? It's just the same old, same old. When you're with somebody, you can tell that that's their approach to life. If they have the same old, same old, rinse and repeat, you can tell because there's life and vitality that's draining from them. Same old, same old. The winds blow, the streams flow. It's just the same old, same old. In week one of Ecclesiastes, we're looking at a time for everything. And we looked in week one at a time to ponder the importance, to think about what really matters. In week two, last week, we looked at a time to work, Ecclesiastes 2.24. And today we're looking at a time to grow old. Now, you may think, hey, preacher, I'm 78 years old. You're finally preaching to me. Here's what's strange and ironic. Yes, I am preaching to you, and I don't mean to mock you the way I just did. But uh, I'm preaching to everybody this morning. Here's the strange thing. Here's the ironic thing that a, that a sermon entitled A Time to Grow Old is actually primarily for the young. Because you see, we live, and Solomon cut through the cliches. He confronted the art, honest questions bluntly and almost rudely, but very honestly. And all of us start living with the same old. All of us are growing older. And as you grow through each decade, I want to share them with you. Through each decade, there are questions that each of us has. Let's let's look at them. These are common to man. In the teens, you ask, who am I and who am I becoming? In the 20s, what am I going to do with my life and with whom? In the 30s, now that I have all these responsibilities, how do I manage it all? 40s, am I a success or a failure? What do they call it? Midlife crisis. Women, look at me. You might be living with one right now. And like you're, you're worried about him not sharing the remote control and putting the dirty laundry away. Like he's battling with, is he a success or failure? Be aware of that. 50s, as I move into the second half of life, that's a grand assumption, by the way. How do I contribute? And here's what's really profound. How do I cope with all the disappointments? In the 60s, how much longer can I do what defines me? I was meeting with one of our younger ministers. He had been to Passion in Atlanta with Louis Giglio. And I said, how's Louis doing? How was Passion? How's Louis? He goes, man, Louis's looking old. He's 65. And I just continued to smile and talk to my young minister. I remember thinking, you be very careful how you talk about guys who are getting older around Fondren Church. In the 70s, because guys in their 60s are looking back and women going, hey, who's trying to take my job? In the 70s, how can I maintain my dignity and vitality with so many limitations? 
in my 80s, does anyone remember who I once was? Hmm. 90s, I've outlived most people I knew. How long do I have? These are the questions, and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 12 and talk about four things that are vital for us when it's in this time of growing old. So a time to grow old. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. Let's read it and then we'll go verse by verse, line by line briefly. It says this, remember also your creator. This is the last chapter of the 12 chapters of this book, even though we got a few more weeks in the series. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And here's what he says, line by line, with me, Bethany, and we go three through seven, and I'll just give explanation on each of these. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent, what does this mean? It means when you get older, you shrink and you shake. Last night I was at a party. It was for a wedding, a family, a couple that we're going to do a wedding for here in April. And I walked into the party and I was introduced by the, the father of the groom. He introduced me to Keith Jackson the famous Keith Jackson. And I reached out my hand to shake his hand and he said, hey man, I'm the, I'm the black Keith Jackson. As not to be confused with the white Keith Jackson who just the announcer, but this was Keith Jackson who won a Super Bowl, who played in the NFL, who was played for the Miami Dolphins, the Oklahoma Sooners, Barry Switzer, Don Shula, et cetera, et cetera. We talked uh, a couple of times uh, last night at the party and I asked him about some things and we have some mutual friends. And I was like, hey man, uh, what was your size? How tall are you? And he said, well, I was... I was 6'4", but he, he ain't 6'4 anymore. You, you shrink a little bit as you get older. Even if you played in the NFL, you, you shrink. Even that vitality that you once had begins to diminish. And the grinders cease because they are few. Want to guess what Solomon's referring to here? The teeth, all right? He's talking about the teeth. That's why they love to serve soft serve ice cream at Piccadilly's because you don't have as many teeth and it's harder to sink into things. They are so few. And those who look through the windows are dim. What's the meaning there? Your eyes. You don't see the way you used to see. Someone asked me recently, they said, Robert, do you ever, when you're in the shower, do you ever put a hand lotion on your hair to shampoo? And I'm like, dude, look at me one more time. I don't put, I don't put anything on my hair. But what's he talking about? You don't wear your readers. Like everybody my age wears readers and they put on their readers. And when you're in the shower, you're not putting on your readers. So you put things in the wrong places in your body. Let's keep going. And the doors on the street are shut. What's Solomon saying there? Any guesses? You don't go out like you used to. We, get, we still go out, baby. We still go out. You don't go out like you used to. You're getting old. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. We lost, I lost my father-in-law seven years ago. And in his latter years, he used to try to stay up late with me. And he would start fading his eyes and his head bobbing. He's like, I want to stay up late. I want to stay up late. I'm like, you can't stay up as late as I do. But he wanted to because he didn't want to wake up. If he went to bed too early, he'd wake up at 2.30 or 3 a.m. You wake up early as you get older, but you can't. The daughters of song are brought low. What's he saying? Very poetically, he said, you don't, you're up with the birds, but you can't hear them singing like you used to. 
Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. What's he talking about? As you get older, your hair turns white. Your body gets slow and sore and sex becomes a chore. That's my own little rhyme. Because man is going to go into his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. One, maybe two more verses, two more verses. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the will is broken at the cistern. He's probably, because remember Solomon wrote Proverbs, Solomon wrote Song of Solomon. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes very late in life and making references of of his writings probably the silver cord is your spinal cord the golden bowl is your noggin it's your head the pitcher there the fount shattered at the fountain um, that is referring to the heart uh, remember Proverbs 4 guard your heart for it's the fountain it's the the wellspring of life and Solomon's writing saying man look at verse 7 he's saying it's it's you're getting older and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. There's an 80s anthem, a little ditty about Jack and Diane, two kids growing up in the heartland. Um, that he sings about, you know, the thrill is gone. And before John Cougar Mellencamp sang that, Solomon is saying it. There comes a point when the thrill is gone. So I want to give you four things this morning to help you in this time of growing old. We live in an age where Betty White has died and Tom Brady has retired and there's an inevitable path for every life. The first thing is this, enjoy. Enjoy. Do you get joy? What trips your joy up most? You say, well, so-and-so is my nemesis or I got this problem or I got this. And it's so easy to point to a circumstance, but the scripture would teach, and it's a reality for some, that joy is a deep abiding virtue that's not dependent upon circumstances, no matter how difficult they may be. Enjoy. Is it the, is it the regrets of your past? Solomon had a boatload of them. Or is it the anxieties of the future? What steals your joy the most? And and he's saying here, enjoy this, enjoy this. Enjoy it while you're young, because while you're young, you have this maximum level of energy and this minimum quota of responsibility. So enjoy it, enjoy it now. Drain the marrow of life. He says enjoy or rejoice in chapter two, in chapter three, in chapter five, in chapter eight, in chapter 9 and chapter 11. Enjoy. Let it rock. Let it roll. Let the Bible Belt come and save my soul. Hold on to 16 as long as you can because change come around quick. Make us women and men. Solomon was right before John Cougar Mellencamp. There's something about 16. There's something about 26. There's something about being young. And here's what he's doing, okay? Let's save some existentialism here. He's not writing saying dread old age. He's writing saying enjoy young life and enjoy it while you can. So enjoy. What level of joy do you have? C.S. Lewis called joy the serious business of heaven. Joy will tell you, if your joy quotient is low, can I tell you to do work with your soul? To go deep, to peel the onion, to pull back the layers and see the reasons for the lack of joy. Enjoy, rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. 
enjoy. Secondly, experiment. Chapter 11, verse 9b puts it this way. We've got to be really careful. In fact, a man in his 60s approached me after the 930 service and said, hey, appreciate it, preacher. You've got to be real careful with that follow your heart thing. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Experiment. He's saying what a lot, a lot of religions say the opposite. He's saying experiment. You have a heart and you should live out of your desires. Now, can desires be twisted by sin? You bet. Can they be perverted? Every good gift from God is perverted by the enemy. And we got to be careful not to walk in those ways. But you have desire. You have desire. And the message of the Bible is never don't live out of your desire. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those. You're really happy if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But live an adventure. You'll see things, the sight of your eyes, the ways of your heart. Live accordingly. Be alive. Be awakened. Don't be a slumber. Don't live in a perpetual state of comatose. Enjoy and experiment. And experiment when you're young. Yeah, we, I'm going to tell you to be careful in a minute. But experiment when you're young. And Solomon, prior to these verses in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, he uses two uh, examples or two activities by way of illustration. He talks about merchants who send ships to sea and farmers who sow seed. Both is an adventure. What will grow? What will come? What travel? What will be built? Or what will grow? What thing of bounty or beauty? What blessing will come from the farmer and from the ship at sea? But with both, Solomon would remind us that there are dangers. There are dangers for a ship at sea could, could hit a reef or encounter a storm or be attacked by pirates. A farmer's crop could be destroyed by insects or drought or fire or neglect. With every adventure, there's danger. Somebody needs to hear this today. Live your life, live out of your heart and see things and go for it. Enjoy and experiment and look out there, especially while you're young. Live this way. But there are dangers and some of you are waiting. You're not being obedient. You're not living an adventure and you're waiting till there's no danger and there's no meaningful adventure without danger. Pirates or reefs or storms or drought or fire or insect or pestilence, whatever it is, there are dangers that await, but don't wait around for ideal circumstances. Enjoy now and experiment. I was having breakfast with a friend at Primo's this week. We were eating pancakes. We were talking about stuff. And I just, it just occurred to me, we're talking about future stuff, but it just occurred to me, like, what if it's the pancakes? Like, what if it's just right in front of us? Like, we're talking about dreams and stuff, but, but there's pancakes right in front of us, and we enjoy it. But we're built for more than just conversation over pancakes. We enjoy the pancakes, but we think about the adventure and what's next. And so enjoy and experiment, but be very careful. Look at Ecclesiastes 11.9b. It says what again? It says this. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Many years ago, we've been 15, almost 16 years removed from this. But someone came to see me, and I did not know the local news story. And in meeting with him, I was just able to sit with him and hear his story and feel his pain and know the unbelievable angst that these other families must have felt. But he told me his story. It was all over the news. Usually I keep up with the news. But he told me that outside of Starkville in Octoc, he got in a Jeep one night late after a party with three girls. And he drove 
and he wrecked the Jeep. And one of the young women was killed. And the other spinal cord was severed. And the other one was in a wheelchair and she would eventually get better. He wanted a conversation about God's grace and about baptism, which is very tender with all that going on in the families and Brandon and such. And he sat with me with his fiance. He had plans to get married. But you see, after this wreck, he had called 911. He called 911, but he fled the scene. And I'm not a judge or jury. But the judge would later that year sentence him to 55 years in prison. 55 years. So people, all people, young and old, especially young people, look at me real quick. There's something in your heart that's stirring. There's something that you see. Go hard. Enjoy and experiment, but God will judge. Don't follow stupid behavior. Don't trust your heart always. Jeremiah would say, it's deceitfully wicked above all else. So be careful with it. And ultimately, God's going to be the judge. If you're on the path of self-destructive behavior, would you stop? Would you stop? It doesn't make sense. You think you're getting away with it? Hang out with people my age. We'll tell you, you ain't going to get away with it forever. You will reap what you sow. Consequences have, or actions have consequences. What you sow, you're going to reap it one day. God will not be mocked, Galatians 6. And so enjoy and experiment. But know that God, he's the judge. Let's sing. How to grow old, enjoy, experiment, and thirdly, remove. Same chapter, chapter 11, says this. Remove vexation from your heart. Isn't that how y'all talk? Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life or vanity. What does he mean here? Remove vexation. Life builds up. And you know what builds up? What accumulates is anxiety. Because, you know, a lot of you, I mean, this is Fondra Church. People my age come here like, it's all young people. And I'm like, that's why you should stay. We need some people my age and older. Don't just run away. But there's a lot of young people. Look, you're not old. You're not old, but you're growing old. I heard a song a few weeks back with um, some pain in it, but some beauty. Take a look, take a listen at this song, uh, Older. I used to shut my door while my mother screamed in the kitchen. I turned the music up, get high and try not to listen to every little fight. Cause neither one was right I swore I'd never be like them But I was just a kid back then The older I get, the more that I see My parents aren't heroes, they're just like me And loving is hard, it don't always work You just try your best not to get hurt This week, I, 
18-year-old came to see me, and uh, his parents were getting divorced, and I didn't have any words for him. I know them all, and I just, we just cried. And this 18-year-old guy needed someone to cry with him. And you know, you're getting older. Everybody's getting older. And what happens when you get older? You begin to accumulate things. She, she saw pain, and she had heroes, she had not heroes anymore. She saw people that she wanted to admire that guarded and protected like a hedge around her, her innocence. And it began to be probably not suddenly, but slowly eroded from her and taken from her. And vexations are in her. Vexations are just another word for anxiety. And anxiety adds up. So let me ask you about some physical properties around you. What's your garage like? What's your closet like? What's your attic or basement like? What's the floorboard and the passenger seat of your car like? Is it junky? Do you have stuff there like wrappers and French fries and old tickets and stuff? Like, do you have that? Like, that's us. That's us. And things add up. And Solomon is saying, as you grow older, you better grow up and you better remove. You better remove the vexations from your heart because it will weigh you down. Yes, we all are going to lose our innocence. We're all going to look at people that we wanted to be our heroes and they're, they're just like me. But is this young woman, as she looks back at her, her childhood, is she going to grow cynical and go, hey, every, no love can be real. I'm not worthy of love and there's no good person out there for me and there's no way. I mean, I just have to settle because this is the way it is. Ecclesiastes gets dangerously close to that. In fact, it does at times. But he's saying, remove the vexations of your heart. And my friend Henry Cloud is a counselor. He's really good at what he does. And he says, when you got to dig up roots, you got to, when you go to therapy, I hope you do, you got to dig up roots and roots don't come up with one pull. So I'm saying to you, in love, especially, I'm telling everybody, even if you're an old man today, like I'm telling everybody, man, deal with your junk. Remove the vexations. Do work and stay at it. Therapy, community, Sunday morning worship. And if you can't make it, be online. But get the word in you and get people around you and do work. Remove the vexations. Enjoy, experiment, remove, and lastly, remember. Ecclesiastes 12 once said it. And then there's another verse, a couple of verses after that in the 12th chapter. Remember, here's what it says. It gives us some metaphors that we don't get so readily. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. In other words, only one God. There's none like him, only one God. Don't elevate another to God-like status, but value wise people. And listen to what they say. They will help you along the way. Any doubt of Solomon, read Proverbs, especially Proverbs 4. Read, read uh, men, especially read Proverbs 5. This young man who came to see me got a text message from his, uh, or he text, he text his dad who was not faithful to his mama and text him Proverbs 5 about the adulterous woman. She'll give you pleasure in the moment, but it won't end well. These are firm and fixed sayings that we do well. So what are goads and what are nails? Goads prod and push you to pursue truth. 
And nails give those truths, it's hangers, it's hooks, it's something that you can put it on and you'll remember. Have you ever learned something? You thought, man, I don't want to be like them. Or they told me something. Man, I don't want to have a marriage like that. I don't have a workplace like that. I don't want to have a relationship like that. I don't want to have a heart like that. And you wanted to, and you just forgot. You didn't have anywhere to hang it. And Solomon is saying, go, we all need to be pushed to pursue truth. Because the default is believing lies. We need to be pushed and prodded to pursue truth. And then we need something for those truths to hang on because we need to remember it. In Titus chapter 2, it says that young women in the church house ought to pursue older women to learn from. And older women should be there to teach them. It says similarly that young men should seek out older men. And those older men should be there for the younger men. How does that work? I'm a man. Let me talk about men and women. You can mirror it in your own way. But here's what men do. 40s, 50s, and 60s. We get together and we beat our chest and we tell stories of the glory days. We exaggerate the fish we caught, the deer we killed, the trophy we won, the game we played in. And we beat our chest. We're just lying to each other. But then if those men stick around long enough, they get real a little bit. And there's a lot of collected knowledge and wisdom in that group of men. In their 40s, 50s, 60s, I'm telling you. Men in their 20s, I say this in love, men in their 20s get together and just share their collected ignorance because they don't know. Like men don't know. That's why on February 18th, on Wednesday night, in just a few short weeks, everybody, no matter how long you've been married, we just celebrated 25. We're going to be there. We're going to invite our small group to be there. We're having a marriage conference. My friend Lee Smith is going to meet us in the gym and talk about building intimacy. And nobody's too old for that. But look, he's going to talk to everybody who's married. And young men, you need to especially be there because you don't know. You know what? You're in your 20s and you're married. Like, you're not wicked or evil. You just don't know how to love your wife. Like she doesn't want to go to the truck, the tractor pull. You just don't know that. So you need someone older than you to speak into you. And that's the picture of it. And that will help us remember. We need to remember. I was reading a book by a great old preacher named Chuck Swindoll. Anybody ever heard of Chuck Swindoll? Any, yeah, okay, thank you. Some, yeah, older people. Got a young person sitting next to an older person. Chuck Swindoll is writing a book called Strengthening Your Grip. And I was reading it. Uh, to resource me with something I was doing. And, and here's what the forward of the book, he puts this in the appreciation. No one reads this. But he said, with much gratitude, Chuck Swindoll in his old age, this volume is dedicated to four men, each of whom helped strengthen my grip more than he ever realized. In the 50s, Bob Newkirk, who gave me the encouragement I needed. In the 60s, Howie Hendricks, who modeled the skills I admired. In the 70s, Ray Stedman, who had the wisdom I appreciated. In the 1980s, Al Sanders, who provided the vision I lacked. I counted a privilege today to call each man my friend. Chuck Swindoll is ending well. Not a lot of pastors do. Do you ever pray for me? Not a lot of pastors finish well. And he is an example to me. And here's the example to me. And I want to share this with you is that you need someone in your life. And what's mentoring like? Here's what I, I mentoring is like dating. Just take someone out and have coffee and date them. Is it, is it weird now? Just date them and just see if you like them and see if they like you and see where it goes. But don't ever give up on finding someone at every cycle and season of your life who can, because just like Chuck Swindoll, who's going to give you the encouragement you need? Who's going to model the skills you admire? Who has the wisdom that you will appreciate and provide the vision that you lack? You need all of that. Remember Solomon would say in the Proverbs, a faithful man who could find. You know, when you get older, you wonder who's faithful. I mean, there's the 
sensual stuff like Shania Twain, whose bed have your boots been under? There's that. But then there's just stuff of like, who's, who's like authentic? Like we love authenticity. Brian Kelly gets hired at LSU from Notre Dame and he goes to speak at a basketball game to welcome himself to the LSU family. And he like all of a sudden this Irish Catholic from the North has a Southern accent. Everybody's like, what, what? Like I don't, I'm not knocking Brian Kelly or LSU much, but I'm just saying like, here's, what, here's the thing. We crave authenticity, don't we? And the way that you and I are going to be real, not perfect, but real, man, we need people in our lives. So seek them out so that you can enjoy and experiment. Every time I'm about to do an experiment, ask her. I always call someone to tell them my dumb idea. And 93% of my ideas are dumb. And someone will say, don't do that. Your time has passed. You're not that talented. Nobody's going to show up. It's kind of cool to think, though, that in life, you know, like you, you always look back and the people that are right behind you, you think they don't know anything. Like the people, like when you're in, you're in college, you're like teenagers, psh, high school kids, punks. You're in your 20s, you're looking back at college, you're like punks. You're in your midlife, midlife people look at 20s and they're like, y'all are punks. People in their 60s look at midlifers, punks. It's kind of cool to think there's a 90-year-old man out there looking at all of us going, punks. All of you, preacher, founder church, you're a punk. And you know what? He's right. I'm a punk. And I might have, Lord willing, some decades left. So stand if you will. And I want to close with this. Doctors, any doctors in the house, any medical students, we love y'all. We love y'all in this season. Thank you so much. All you frontline workers. Doctors in Berlin, in Germany, at the Geriatrics Institute in Berlin developed years ago um, a 27 pound what they call age suit and this 27 pound age suit is requirement for all the medical students we do that here at UMC Jimmy but you're required all the medical students are required to wear the age suit and the age suit has this this uh, shield face shield that dims your vision it has these eye protectors that uh, you know thwart your hearing and there's knee and elbow pads that make your joints creak and feel sore and he says that his goal it's a requirement all the medical students must wear it and perform simple tasks and he says I want to turn here's a quote I want to turn young energetic people into into slow creaking old people and he wants to do that and he guesses why you know this empathy Bedside manners, don't y'all call it. If you're a doctor, God bless you, but have good bedside manners. We know you're smart, but have good bedside manners. And he wants his, his doctors to value the patients. And really, he, do, he may not know it. I don't know his faith journey, but like the Bible says, gray hair is a, cl- is a crown of splendor. Like never speak to old people pejoratively. Like somebody called me an old man on the basketball court a couple weeks ago. Like no place for that in the Bible. Pray they go to hell. But anyway. Like he wants, he wants them to be empathetic. And here's what Solomon is saying. If you, if you had a hard time getting through that, what we read today, look, uh, first of all, come back next week. Give me a shot. This is pretty hard stuff, isn't it? It's very hard stuff. But here's what all the pros say. The pros say this. The more we think about our mortality, the more we will live richly. And don't believe the opposite. Don't deny and push it aside. So today, as we close, we come to the table. 
I'm going to go ahead and ask our leaders to make their way. There's three down front. There's one up in the balcony. Begin to make your way down front leaders. And they're going to facilitate this. But Jesus tells us to remember. To remember what he has done for us. To remember the sacrifice. And everybody in here, just look around real quick. Everybody in here has a lot of sin. Everybody in here needs God's grace. Some of you haven't received it yet. Some of you think you have to earn it. Some of you aren't sure. We welcome you here with all your questions and doubts. But Jesus said, I've given my life for you. And I want you to do this as a people. This is not if you're home today, that's kind of cool if you're on the couch or whatever. But this is really a communal act. It's communion. It's where we as a faith family say we are sinners in need of God's grace. And he's paid the penalty for our sin. We don't have to strive or achieve. Now there's the power of sin. And so each time I come to the table, I repeatedly thank God that he's provided the penalty of my sin. I receive Jesus once and for all, but I need him with the dominion and power of sin in my life. So when I come to the table, I thank him that he who knew no sin, everybody around you, including the guy talking, has plenty of sin. But only one, he who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of of God. So come to the table, grab a cup. It's multi-layered or two-layered. You peel one and there's the bread. Excuse me, you peel another and there's the juice. The juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for you. The bread, that little wafer, represents the body of Christ. It's earthly and so ordinary and just small, but it represents a big, in fact, the biggest idea of all and the greatest power in the universe unleashed to us in the Savior Jesus Christ the love of God, sacrificial of every love that you're working toward and hoping for is a substitute. It pales in comparison to this love. Even if you can think of someone who's given to you sacrificially, nothing like what the Savior has done. Y'all ready? Let's sing and follow the person in front of you to the table. When you grab the elements, you can walk back to your place. Don't leave. To walk back to your place and in your timing, peel and partake in remembrance.